0: Hello and welcome to the Immigrant Incorporate Podcast. On my episode today, I'm joined by Lisa Huang Lisa is a customer-focused data-driven product leader. At Microsoft, Lisa is currently building products to protect companies from 99.9% of cybersecurity attacks. Before joining Microsoft, Lisa built a career over a decade spanning aerospace, strategy consulting, finance, digital marketing and full-stack software engineering. She founded an award-winning digital marketing agency that built digital strategy and brand activation campaigns for Singapore hairline, Vitamin Water, City of Cape Town and more. As a founder, Lisa was an entrepreneur in residence at the Cape Innovation and Technology Initiative, CITI, Africa's most established tech incubator. Outside of work, Lisa built Five-Week Aspiring Product Manager, APM, a collaborative learning community to democratize access to product management training for everyone, regardless of their financial situation. Over the last two years, Five-Week APM has empowered over 4,000 aspiring product managers with Lisa's online curriculum. Enjoy this conversation. Hello and welcome to the Immigrant in Corporate podcast. On this podcast, you will learn from lived experiences how to thrive in the corporate workplace as an immigrant. My name is Lola Adeemo. I am the CEO of EQI Mindset and the founder of the nonprofit Immigrant in Corporate Inc. I work with organizations to build inclusive workplaces. On this podcast, I will be amplifying immigrant voices from within corporate organizations through solo episodes as well as guest interviews. It is a global world of work and I'm very sure you can learn a thing or two from my guests who are originally from different parts of the world and their experiences working in the corporate workplace. hey lisa thank you so much for joining me today i'm really excited to have a conversation with you today for our immigrant in corporate audience and we're new connections so i'm actually curious to hear about these stories as well so thank you for being here
1: yeah of course lola thank you for reaching out i'm really excited to share my story with you today and learn from your experience interviewing others so far
0: all right so lisa let's let's get right in and uh, the first section I want to get to know you. What's your immigrant story? What's your experience been like? Um, yeah, let's get to meet you.
1: So I'm originally born in Taiwan and I actually grew up in Taiwan till I was about 10 years old. And then my family moved to Singapore and um, I was both my parents were expatriates. So at the time, I had never left the country, didn't speak a word of English. And at 10 years old, I didn't really know what to expect either. So it was very much a family move. And we moved to Singapore where I then studied until I was 18. And I came to the U.S. for university after that. I was the first in my family to come to the U.S. And so from there, there was definitely a learning experience, a learning curve, navigating the public university experience and I actually ended up at the University of Michigan so I got to experience snow for the very first
0: time <laughs> yep that's always fun
1: yeah And I always joke that it was a huge shock having lived on the tropical island for Mm -hmm. the last eight, nine years of my life and to be suddenly thrown into kind of Midwest America and to go from huge metropolis city into a small town, campus town. So there were definitely a lot of jarring changes, Mm -hmm.
0: contrasts.
1: Yeah. but yeah. Yeah. It was a great learning experience. Yeah. 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 That's
0: interesting that you talked about snow because when I was coming to the U.S., I remember specifically declining an admission because somebody was like, oh, you want to go to Wisconsin? There's snow there. And I'm like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> See, at least someone mentioned to you that there's
1: snow there. No one mentioned to me that it's snowed in Michigan. And I, I mean I, I think I must it must have just been 18 year old me looking at campus pictures and going, Oh, it looks beautiful because they show you spring, they show you right. summer, and how the color of the leaves change in the fall. I don't remember seeing any winter photos. <laughs> I may have changed my mind otherwise and went, I don't know, to California or something.
0: <laughs> that was uh, that was funny. Yep. I mean, everyone loves to watch snow on TV. Yes. Until you live in it Until you and live then in you realize. It oh wow (laughs) yeah yeah so when when you came in it was you yourself uh straight into college or did you move with your family
1: no I moved here by myself so my um my parents came with me on the flight right because you know first daughter was Mm -hmm. going
0: to a university
1: in the U.S. so they did come and help me settle into living on campus in a
0: dorm but yeah but I was the only one here wow So it's been a while now since you made that move. And uh, it's interesting that you actually have the college experience as well. So I'd love to hear that. But if you want to switch to your corporate experience, maybe tell us a little bit about what you do now and how you made that switch and that transition from academic to work. Yeah, so I would say
1: my corporate America experience was divided into two phases. So right after university, upon graduation, actually started working at Morningstar, which is a financial research company based out of Chicago. And at that time, that was my first adult job, right? My first full-time job coming out from being a student. And yeah, and I think I was very lucky because given that I went to Michigan and Morningstar's headquarters was in Chicago, they had a lot more alumni presence. Mm -hmm. And I think it was one of those early companies who really thought about hey, how do we best facilitate university students transition into the workplace? So it's actually part of a cohort called Morningstar Development Program, which at the time was a two-year rotational program where they recruited college students straight out of university. And the idea was that you can go through two rotations. So you can work with two teams over the two years, and they had a lot of support outside of your day job with cohort based activities and networking events and training to really help facilitate experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that was my first part. I think my first part of working in corporate America and it was actually through the development program where for my second rotation, I got the chance to work internationally. So I actually left the U.S. (laughs) after two years after college and working Morningstar and I moved to South Africa where I worked now Cape Town office. Yeah, and I actually lived there for five plus years. And it's a long story, which I'm happy to share. But given that I'll focus today's on corporate America, I'll fast forward really quick. So after South Africa, I did traveling and lived abroad in multiple places at this time in Europe, and then eventually moved back to the US about five years ago. So that's when I started my second phase of my experience working in the US, and this time in a very different scenario where I'm now based on the West Coast. I moved to the San Francisco Bay Area where everyone you know or random people on the street, everyone works in tech, right? (laughs) And for me, I think that was another part of corporate America that I didn't really know about. Since I don't have a computer science background, I got a Business degree, right? So it wasn't a STEM education either. So it's another learning and transition phase to learn about how to get into tech and what type of roles I can get with my experience and my background. Mm-hmm. And I eventually ended up working at a startup where I was in product management. And that was the role I was in before, joining Microsoft, where I'm currently a product manager building our cybersecurity products.
0: That's awesome. And I I love that you talked about your South African experience because I have a book that is about immigrants in corporate America. And so the audience interview is for that conversation. We're all in corporate America. But the audience for the podcast is Immigrants in Corporate World. Because one thing I learned during the process of researching for my book is that there is something to be said for the experiences in the corporate roles within different corporations. And as as we talked about a little bit before we came on air, I was telling you that companies are global now. So it's even an American-based company, you can have an experience uh, where you go outside of your company and you get something else. And and maybe comparing some of these will also help us see where the gaps that we need to fill in America as a whole and how the atmosphere in America is impacting the corporate workplace. Yeah. And I think, especially since the pandemic,
1: right, where right. we are moving to a global world, hybrid reality is becoming more of a thing, especially in tech. So I think just, the flexibility that opens up for people to start considering if they haven't considered before of the chance to move abroad and maybe live somewhere else or folks who want to come to the US and experience that for themselves. And as you know, and as your audience know, I think anytime when you're navigating a huge international move, Mm -hmm. it can get that much more stressful and there's so much more unknown than when you're just changing companies or changing jobs in a
0: country that you're familiar with. No, absolutely. Yeah, I love it. So you you became a corporate employee, and you got the international experience multiple ways, right? Yes, <laughs> From growing yeah. up in America <laughs> to working in in South Africa. So when you look at your experience getting into corporate in South Africa and and back in in the U.S., did you notice any jarring difference now that you had been gone right for a while and then coming back into corporate America? How was that experience?
1: Yeah, I think from the get-go, one of the immediate difference for me was the job application and interview process. I think the first time I entered corporate America, as I mentioned, I was a college graduate. There were a lot of support as well as recruiting pipeline for companies coming on campus, right, going to career fairs, and the fact that you are just competing on a pretty leveled playing field where you're mostly competing against other university students. So as far as the, my first experience goes, I think it was a lot more straightforward where you knew what to expect as a student. You knew that, sure, I have some internship and you know s- student organization experience in college, but any employer are aware that I'm a fresh grad and they're going to train me and they're going to up-level me. And I'm a pretty blank canvas as far as Mm -hmm. my first professional job. Yeah. And I think when I returned this time, very different, right? I'm now an industry hire. I'm someone who does have work experience. So there was a lot more, I think, intentional job search strategies one has to employ, as well as localizing or adapting one's resume. Mm-hmm. And I think that's especially true for getting into the tech industry, where, to be honest, a lot of people who work in tech came from, I would say, more homogenous background. A lot of them have maybe computer science or STEM background. Right. A lot of the time in the West Coast, they are kind of live and breathe the West Coast air and probably went to university and have worked and established a network in the West right. Coast, specifically Bay Area. So I think for me coming back, one of the biggest jarring difference was saying, firstly, I need to really adapt and paint a story of why my international experience, as well as experience outside of tech is relevant in this context. So learn to talk the talk and using some of the acronyms and jargon, as well as focusing on the networking piece, which I think was really key for an industry
0: hire. Right, right. So was it intentional for you to try to get into tech or is that just something that happened from your entry out of school?
1: Yeah, so I think for me, it was intentional. Um, Part of moving to the Bay Area was, you hear the phrase, software is eating the world," right? But it's hard to imagine what that means when you don't work in tech or haven't had exposure to tech. And I was fortunate where during my time in South Africa and in my travels, I got to meet folks from all walks of life, including software engineers. So I think I got to hear a little bit from their experience, what it's like both in the sense of they are always learning and a growth mindset, which is something that's really refreshing for me. And I think to be able to work in the kind of industry where you have challenge to grow and learn new things and keep pace with new technologies, that was an area which I haven't had that much experience. So it really drew me. And again, being in the Bay Area where I think there's the luxury of saying, wow, this is the Silicon Valley, right? Everything right. is. TV and what you hear about in the news. Really, you can find a startup, in fact, multiple startups for any problem space you're interested in. So I really got a chance to reinvent myself and think intentionally about what I want
0: next for my career. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I love hearing about that. I think one of the things that I didn't think about from my experience until I actually started working was when you describe your entry into corporate America and the the process, the support process, um, and that first stage coming from school to work, I had a different experience because I relocated.
1: Mm. So I
0: lost the opportunity to take advantage of that, right? So I had a, an amazing experience onboarding. Mm-hmm. I came by myself from Nigeria. I booked my shuttle, registered for my classes, my accommodation, I made all the arrangements over the phone and they were so supportive, right? The Office of International Admissions, everybody was very supportive. And the school picked me up from the airport. I didn't know anybody, right? So it was like, literally, I already knew where the stores were. I knew where my apartment was. I knew I didn't need a car immediately. I was able to walk to class, even though my apartment was off campus. You know, so it was all of the logistics. I was able to take it. And I really, really loved that. Um, I felt so welcome and supported, but I moved, uh, my first job, at my, I went to school in the university of, uh, Houston nice. in Texas. And my first job was in San Diego, California. Oh, wow. And yeah, I remembered, amazing. yeah. So I lost all of that network. Yes. And so I had more of a struggle <laughs> trying yes. to get to work. Uh, because as you said, right, the companies that come on campus, they make it easy for you. They know they are talking to students. You feel like the playing field is all about, you know, students and they are looking for entry-level candidates to bring in. For me, I almost felt like, you know, I was battling with (laughs) more experienced people than I am. Mm -hmm. And and again, I was a graduate school student. So it was like all of the understanding that your bachelor's is not really Respected because you, it was an international degree, and the master's is in the science program. So we don't respect that your skills are good enough.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a really good point there, right? Which is when you think about the positioning of an undergraduate or university student and the benefit of the doubt you get because you are a young adult that's coming out of school for the first time. Mm -hmm. And I can see how that will contrast dramatically from a master's or a PhD student because you're likely going back, maybe as an adult learner after a couple of years of experience, you've had several years since leaving
0: home for the first right, time yeah right. so, so that expectation might be different
1: yeah right
0: right no but but what I hear you say I think is very valid if we have especially if we have people who are international students mm-hmm. and in college right now looking to get into work I hear you say a lot of the opportunity to take advantage yes that support of those resources was really helpful for you Definitely.
1: Yeah. And I think similar to what you mentioned about international office, I think the beauty of coming out of school, entering the workforce is you are just a customer. You literally just paid tuition to go to school. So you have access to resources that you have paid for. And that resource might be international center. It might be the career development office. It might be the counselor or professor's you have access to who have industry connections. And almost the power dynamic is different when you are saying, hey, I paid, to come to school and I have access to these things, how do you, how can you help me and support me in achieving my goals? And I think slightly different once you are working already and you're a professional, right? And, and in that case, you're no longer necessarily a customer, but you are an employee where the company's paying you. So it's effectively a lot of the time up to you individually and your community to find ways to
0: pursue your goals. Right. No, thank you. Um, that's That's really helpful. So let's move to let's move to the third phase, (laughs) which is now working in corporate America as an immigrant, Mm -hmm. as somebody that is not from here, maybe does not have a strong community um, around you. I mean, tell me about that. Let me not assume you don't have a strong community, because, again, college was four years, five years. Oh, that's very kind. (laughs) Years
1: and years and years ago. Yeah, no, I think it's interesting where, so maybe one of the way I can share would be contrasting the startup experience with kind of a large corporation like Microsoft. I think one element is when you're thinking corporate America, right? I think even that term in my mind, it it can come with so many facets. Are, are we talking about the industry you're in, mm-hmm. the maturity of the company you're in? Right. Maybe even specifically, are you at a headquarter, right? Where you're oh, working yes. for HQ in the mm-hmm. US versus a company that's not, and kind of the company culture and differences that bring with it. So-
0: right. So so that's 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 good. That's a good point to add a good caveat to kind of add to your own experiences as you describe it, because I think we talk about the corporate world, mm-hmm. but we know that the company culture is different depending on where the headquarters is, right? Absolutely. And as we have these conversations around corporate world of work and global cultural differences, it's important to make that, you know, clarification when you are describing a, your experience. And when I did say four or five years, I wasn't talking about that you finished school. <laughs> I, was <talking> about, <laughs> no, I was talking about compared with mine. So I spent, I literally spent 16 months in graduate school as an international student. And then I was in corporate America, Right. But, you know, even though you came straight from a different country as an international student to school, if you worked on a bachelor's, I was trying to say you did spend a substantial amount of years. And so you might have had a chance to build more of a community than Um, a graduate student who have. So,
1: yeah, yeah. And I think, yeah, so the length of time definitely makes sense. And if I go back to my first job, which was in Chicago, I think there, as you mentioned, the geographic proximity helped because mm-hmm. given that i went to university of michigan many students chicago is one of the nearest large city so by default there's a lot of michigan alumni going okay. to chicago so i did have a bigger network then because a lot of graduates or it was easy for me to find michigan alumni in chicago um, but since then, when I moved back to La Bay area, I had to start from scratch, right? Because I didn't really know anyone in San Francisco. It and It's also been years since mm. I lived in the U.S. So so I, I think I got to
0: experience both part of that experiment. <laughs> so you did start your first job in Chicago, and then that job took you to South, to Africa? South Africa? Yeah. Okay. So when you got the job in San Francisco, this would be the first time you're working with a corporation in on the west coast yes that's right okay yeah so yeah yeah that's a different different culture (laughs) geographically
1: culture different culture as well Mm -hmm. yeah and i think with community i think coming in as an adult right as someone who has a lot more work and life experience as well i do find that building community becomes easier Mm -hmm. and i think you know call it maturity call it travel and life experience <laughs> but I think once you lived and traveling a few different places that's actually one of our superpowers as an immigrant I think that we have already moved at least once in our yes. life yes. and a lot of the time we had to uproot our entire support system to go exactly. from the home country yes to a new country right. so I think it speaks a lot to the resilience and adaptability we already had from that one move so the subsequent moves I found have been a lot easier because it's kind of like riding a bicycle you have the muscle memory you remember and once you're in it you know looking for an apartment finding new restaurants you look around and think Oh, yeah, no, I remember this. (laughs) I remember (laughs) the last time I had to figure this out. (laughs) Yeah, So so that's how I felt with uh, moving to San Francisco. I'm now in the Seattle area for Microsoft, where, again, you know, it's countless moves at this point. And for me, I think it was easy enough to say, all right, what's the first way to find a common community? Chances are, from your day job, you already know people on your team. Right. So right away, I was able to form connection and build relationship with my immediate team members and colleagues and plug in, whether that be using Microsoft Teams or Slack. Right. There's a lot of tech tools that we use nowadays to help find community. And one element which I've always leveraged in all the corporate companies I've been in is the employee resource groups. I think normally, especially if it's a U.S. headquarter company, um, ERG so employee resource groups are a pretty popular concept I would say most companies will have affinity groups ERGs something, business groups, something where you're able to find people who I, you identify with whether that be religious gender sexual orientation ethnicity right race and ethnicity and I think that's one thing which I've always leveraged is once I'm learning a new company first thing I do I look for the ERG I make a beeline to the ERG because I <laughs> know be a safe environment where right. I can even just look through some of the past posts and get a sense of oh what are the topics people are interested in what's top of mind what are some of the discussions and who are the active connectors in this right. community who I can reach out to and say hi hey, I'm new help <laughs>
0: <Yep>. <laughs> oh wow you are really smart because that's one of the things I try to advocate for is employee resource group and I I think Maybe what I struggle most in my work as an employee resource group expert and consultant is the way companies set up the employee resource group sometimes actually exclude people mm. because, you know, if you don't think it's for you, you don't even, you know, make the move to yeah. try and connect. And, and a lot of time is now in encouraging organizations to bring that intersectional lens. Mm-hmm. to these employee resource group. It's not just, even if you have five employee resource groups, right? You can still help your employees find something in common with people within that group. And it makes, you know, it makes the organization shrink. Yeah. It, it makes it shrink in a way where for you, you can find one or two people that you connect with, even outside of your day job, right? Yeah. It's uh, sometimes it's easier to connect with people that don't have direct impact on your work, <laughs> yes, for
1: sure. Yeah, and and I will say I have two two tips for anyone who's worried about finding connection. Right, start with food, and then start <laughs> with culture. Chances are, no matter where you are, the moment you start talking about, hey, what's your favorite restaurant or what's your favorite food in the area, even just back in the days so when you go to the office, right, finding out the best lunch spots nearby. Everyone will open up and say, Oh yeah, this is my favorite chicken place, or this is my favorite salad place. Right. So I think food is one of those common universal love language that anyone can connect to. And it doesn't matter if you are with an employee resource group where you feel a little awkward, someone new, right? You're not sure how to adapt it. If you ask for food advice, people will always be happy to share it. And I think Yeah, And I think culture is another big thing where, again, as immigrants, we have that built in. We come from some other culture into, in this case, corporate America. So inherently, we have all the beauty and the heritage that we carry forth with us, right? Whether that be... Spe- special events, or in my case, I'm Taiwanese, so we have a lot of ancient traditions like Lunar New Year's or Full Moon Festival, which again revolves around food. So it's very <laughs>
0: easy. so you have a healthy relationship with food.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. So all I all I need to say is, hey, Full Moon Festival is coming up. Does anyone know where I can get mooncakes in Seattle? And bang, 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 I make five new friends because people are telling me where to get them.
0: <laughs> oh, that's awesome! Well, that's a great tip. I'll use that. I'll use it. <laughs> Absolutely, I I I love I, I love uh, good food as well. So <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah. Um, and I love that you talked about. I think twice. You have made a reference to the fact that we've experienced this before, right? We come from somewhere. We change location, so sometimes we are overprepared for this too, right? Um, Absolutely. And so maybe diving deeper, I saw that you've already started giving some takeaways, some advice. One of it is food. One of it is networking, right? Uh, As you talked about, is building your network through, in your case, employee resource groups. So I love that. Um, One of the things I also wanted to ask you though, is when I'm talking to immigrants, I used to always start with, what are the barriers? Mm. And people will go on and on about, you know, just all the negatives, all the challenges, all the problems. And it used to depress me because, that was actually how I got started on this project because it's, oh my gosh, this is so sad. This is so frustrating. You know, people are going through all these, people are going through all this. But then I switched it out and I started to ask people, how do you think your cultural background has helped you to thrive at work? And it yeah. always makes people pause, like, oh, that's true. You know, even in the job I chose, I'm thriving in this career because in my country, my culture, this is how we're raised. So it's been easy for me. So it's been refreshing and encouraging to hear that perspective of, well, you're thriving. You are in corporate America and you're doing a great job and you're doing amazing. What are some of the things that you think um, you brought from your cultural background? that is helping you and maybe talk about some of the barriers that you also see, because no matter how supportive the organization is, I know you didn't get there overnight, right? Like coming in fresh, what are some of the things that were maybe different for you? You had to get used to, you struggled with. How much time do you have? I can go (laughs) okay. Keep going.
1: (laughs) yeah I think so so I think that yeah let's unpack that a little bit right about I love what you said which is it really depends on what lens you're looking at something through both from maybe a more pessimistic which is here's a challenge and here's a barrier and how it's weighing me down but at the same time looking at it from a positive lens of hey but what are some of my superpowers that I can bring forth and I think one of the First one that comes into mind, which I know affect many folks is language barrier, right? I think the nature of being an immigrant is English is our second language. Some of us have accents. Some of us are not as fluent. Some of us are not used to the colloquial or even cultural references. I think humor is a big one, which you can see when you move somewhere else. One of the ways that I have found that's really interesting moving to a new place is go to go and find a comedy show an open mic comedy show. Because I think when you're in a new country and you go to a comedy show, it will immediately surface to you how the cultural context is completely different. And what people <laughs> are laughing about, I have no idea. Oh, I do not understand at all. In fact, I was just watching Netflix the other day and because I grew up in Singapore, so I think my humor slants a little more British, sarcastic, dry humor than American humor. And my partner and I literally were watching a British comedian and I was laughing and he was not laughing at all. He didn't know why it was funny. I was like, how do you not find this funny? And then we watched the Chappelle show and he was laughing and I was just sitting there like, I don't get it. I still don't <laughs> understand. So, so I think humor is one of a classic way to find and define that cultural difference. And yeah, so, so yeah. So I think with that in mind, though, I think with language, even though sometimes it's a barrier, I think in a corporate context, what's really helpful is globalization. Right. So especially at a company like Microsoft, of course, we have audience who speak Chinese. Of course, we have offices and customers in international markets, whether that be China, Taiwan, Hong Kong, right, or other places where there are Chinese audiences. And a lot of the time, I think as an employee who is an immigrant, you already have cultural contacts from your home country, both as a language advantage, as well as a culture advantage. And those things are super valuable, really, I think, in any job, any job function today, because chances are your company creates products and sell to international market to people who are from your country of origin or people who speak your language. And there are many ways that you can really surface and highlight that strength on projects, such as helping to check that the local translations are accurate and respectful and culturally aware. Right. And I think those are elements where, yes, of course, there's trained professionals who can do that. But there's no better way than for people like us who say, hey, I'm from there. I speak the language. Let me take a proofread of this presentation you're about to present to an international client and make sure that we're not making any big, jarring errors before the presentation.
0: Exactly. Yeah, that's definitely one of the most common feedback I got when I interviewed people for my book is everybody had some communication story (laughs) from work. And, And sometimes, you know, it could be really bad. You're right. If you are in the headquarters where you are really getting to relate with people from everywhere, maybe not so much, but if you are at a local site of your company and, you know, the population is really very homogeneous, you can struggle a little bit because it's almost like by default, everybody speaks one language everybody's humor and communication style is the same. And you have to figure it out because nobody is really explaining to you what's going on. (laughs)
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I think that's one example of a barrier that can also be a superpower. I think another one which, having spent more time in the US now, which I think come up very often, especially within, in my scenario, right, as Asian, is you do have a lot of stereotypes associated with, folks from an Asian descent or identified as Asian and I think there's elements of it that may not conform to the U.S. corporate or what an ideal leadership might be Mm -hmm. and I know you and I are both you know practitioners in diversity equity so so we can talk about this all day right about systemic biases and and all that fun stuff but I think one element that's really interesting is challenging what defines a leader and what defines promotability. And I see this often, especially in smaller companies or startups, where a lot of the time they are much smaller, so they are not able to really have proper support for their employees around these unconscious bias. And a lot of the time you see that coming into a barrier is around promotions. right? So one of the stereotypes that's often associated with Asians is that hey, Asians are really hard workers. They are very diligent, but they are not leadership material. And it's really interesting because a recent study I read by a Stanford professor was mentioning how if you take the context of Asian values and culture in Asia, such as China or Japan, of course, they are leaders because the entire country with that majority culture, right, Respect those values, whether those values are around diligence in work or being able to observe and pick up context before jumping in to share their opinion first. Right. Yeah. And even things about being extrovert versus introvert. I think that's where a lot of the contrast really we have to take a step back and question Am I not a leader or do I just not fit into the stereotype of a leader in my specific organization? And exactly
0: honestly, yeah,
1: that's a lot harder to crack. When again, depending on the size and the kind yeah. of company you're in, right? Sometimes right. cultural things working against you that no amount of self-awareness and efficacy can overcome that barrier. Right. But yeah, but I think on the flip side, since we're talking about using that as a superpower, I think it's really recognizing and building up your confidence, knowing that hey, my culture's value are important to me and they are an integral part of who I am. So if I'm working a place where I'm not getting promoted and recognized for my worth because of the systemic biases in place, this is not the right place for me. And it's not a place I can thrive in and recognize that you're, All of us, we have our life experience and we have our skills. So we can choose to vote with our feet and go where we are respected and where we are recognized. And if your current company is not doing that for you, start looking. There is no excuse in working for bad companies in today's. Frame set where, again, in the US, right, I think we are fortunate and privileged that there's a lot more mobility with remote work opening up and more hybrid work opening up. And there's so much online learning resources nowadays where there's a lot of different ways you can shore up your expertise and make that transition where possible. So, yeah, so I think really that comes to it is. If a company doesn't recognize and reward you for it, know that you have the power to change and use that as
0: your superpower instead and take it somewhere else who will appreciate you for your values. Right, absolutely. I love that you touched on a range of things and I I can really tell that you've thought about this, you've lived it, you are (laughs) a practitioner in this space because these are some of the things that I struggle with because sometimes people think, I'm putting it all on the immigrant, Mm -hmm. right? I'm saying you need to speak up, you need to overcome your cultural barriers. I think there's there's room for both, right? There are times when as an immigrant, you need to understand this is how the corporate culture works. You don't get under things, you know, the titles. Sometimes people are like, oh, titles are no important. Sometimes titles are important. But they are. Yeah. <laughs> if not, they will give it to you for free. <laughs> exactly. So that titles are important in corporate America because it comes with power. It comes with responsibility. It comes with the ability to make more impact yes. in decision making, especially for others, right, yes. who, who are like you. So I think we... We need, we have some learning to do as immigrants, as we navigate the corporate culture, but you ended it correctly to say, sometimes there's nothing you can do because the culture itself is very toxic Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: and it's not welcoming for you as a person, you are not being appreciated. And so for immigrants, the tendency is to internalize that a lot. Like, you know, it must be me, other people are getting promoted, or this person is getting promoted, I just have to keep working harder and keep my head down. Sometimes we need to lift our head up and look around yes. and recognize that it's time to move on.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And and I think I want, I, and, you know, having lived through it myself, I want to acknowledge that one of the largest or biggest challenges an immigrant is work visa sponsorship, right? And again, I know for immigrants, you can come from all walks of life. Some people are undocumented, which already provides a lot of challenge as it is to get into quote unquote mainstream or the formal workforce requiring paperwork. And I think on the other hand, I imagine some of your audience would be documented immigrants, right? People who might be here on the works or skill-based visa. Right. And yeah, and I think I want to acknowledge, I know I've gone through it. My sisters are currently going through it. I I know it's a very challenging aspect to feel constrained by choices when you have to find a company who can sponsor an H1B. Or whatever the visa you're currently on and and that itself does limit options and it does limit the time frame you have in making right. those job changes but i think this is where we go back 2.1 which is community right start building that community find others who are listening to Lola's podcast or in Lola's community, right? Find other immigrants who are working here in corporate America and start exchanging best practice. Know which company sponsors, know which company recruiting timeline fits within your timeline and really leverage that network to find your next opportunity. And don't don't feel trapped. I think life is too short to feel trapped. And to be honest, I think the world there's a huge world out there beyond America so you know sometimes when a door closed many new doors open and again speaking from my personal experience having come to the U.S. worked in the U.S. and then left and moved to other countries and then still came back later right Right. at least from my personal life experience I know it's possible and sometimes the surprises
0: are in those paths less ventured. Exactly. I love it. Well, you heard it from Lisa. <laughs> I, I, I think we touched on a couple of things. It's important to find that community. Yes. You know, it's, it's important because everybody's story is different. I love to start with your immigrant story because how we got here is different yeah. for everyone. And And you'll be surprised at the number of people that I speak with that call themselves immigrants and they were born here. Mm-hmm. But they strongly identify as immigrants for a lot of personal reasons, right? So, you know, when we think about, we all need that community, we need that community. And we also have a role to play, to learn, to educate ourselves about the systems that we are in. And I've had stories of people as well that had legal restrictions, and there's a way to walk around that. Everybody's story is different, but don't feel stuck. There's always something you can do. It might require some patience, (laughs) you know, but there's always something you can do. You know, when we talk about inclusion in corporate America, we need everybody's voices. We need to all be part of this conversation. And when we can all make a difference uh, where we are. Before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you a little uh, bit about your immigrant in South Africa experience. And did did you have, I know it's different industry, um, but just thinking about getting into, so you you moved to South Africa on a work visa, right?
1: Yeah, so I stayed with Morningstar, and basically Morningstar did a merging acquisition where they bought a part part of the kind of EMEA, so Europe and. Africa operation, and they happen to have an office base in Cape Town. So I was part, I was the one person who was sent over there for, to help with the
0: acquisition. How, how do you have any, maybe, I know you probably have a couple, <laughs> maybe one <laughs> or two ways that experience compares for you, like being an immigrant in South Africa and being an immigrant in America? Wow. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, many I think many surprises, similarities and differences. So I think one of the big one that stood out for me at the time was with South Africa's history of apartheid uh, where there was racial segregation, right? That was embedded in law and um, part of the history of both the British and Dutch colonization that came with it. It was fascinating because when I went to South Africa, I think they had been independent for maybe 18 years at that time. So if you think about the maturity of an 18-year-old, now imagine that in a country scale. It's a very young democracy and a very young independence. And I think coming from the U.S., that was one thing that stood out to me, right? Because definitely in the U.S., even more so nowadays, is you hear and you experience racial tension Mm
0: -hmm. and you see
1: how folks will react very differently and obviously the systemic biases and injustice around it. And one thing I really appreciated about living in South Africa is witnessing firsthand how a young democracy is coping with that pain and grieving and coming to terms with it. And I was fortunate where when I was there, Nelson Mandela was still alive. Bishop Desmond Tutu was still alive. So these huge, Mm. huge figures were still actively shaping the society and shaping mm. the politics and I was very lucky to be there during that time and to be able to experience that firsthand of how a very divided nation was able to take paths forward in coming more together and really trying to hear each other and view each other as human first and mm. their race or their identity second and Ironically, coming back to the U.S. so many years after, I regret to say that I think there's a lot more similarities than differences, which frankly was quite shocking and surprising to me, especially having spent a good amount of time away from the U.S., and I think bringing that to corporate America, right, and how that changed, I, I think in contrast in the U.S., corporate and how progressive, especially within tech, the fact that you do talk about diversity, equity, justice mm-hmm. in the workplace, and there are acknowledgement from senior leadership around these heavy issues that are not the most comfortable to talk about and can be quite controversial. And I think for a company leadership to walk that line of being supportive and empowering, but still having their fiscal duty, right, which is we're here to make money. And, and I think having to cope with both of those reality, I do think the U.S. is still miles ahead compared to some of the copper cultures I have experienced or observed in countries like South Africa. And again, I think that comes with time and comes right. with experience and the amount of people
0: and the amount of legacy that comes with the work. That's interesting. And yeah, I think it's definitely very valid conversations to be having now because We are at the awareness stage. I feel like the U.S. should be more matured than we are, Mm -hmm. um, especially when it comes to the corporate. But in the last couple of years, we've definitely seen a lot of changes. And hopefully, you know, the changes are going to be accelerated from here. I mean, we're going to move from talking about things, acknowledging it to actually doing things about it, things that will stand the test of time. But thank you so much for coming on lisa and sharing your experience with me today i think you touched on a lot of things that my audience will love as far as being an immigrant in corporate how can i grow how can i thrive how can i build my career it's possible we all need support and that's what we're here to provide i appreciate your time lisa
1: absolutely and thank you again for having me this has been great conversation and i can't wait to hear the rest of the podcast
0: thank you all right bye lisa thank you for joining me lola ademo as always for these important conversations on the corporate world of work from the immigrant perspective for more resources and upcoming events, please visit our website www.immigrantsincorporate.org. You can also follow us on Instagram at immigrantsincorporate. If you are on LinkedIn, please join the group Thriving in Intersectionality Immigrants in Corporate America. There will be a new episode every week, so make sure you are subscribed to get notified. Please leave us a rating, leave a review, and I hope to see you next time. Thank you.